Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to the Physionic Podcast. My name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I'm a PhD student in molecular medicine, and well, that's really the only credential that's going to be applicable in this circumstance because we're going to be talking about uh, fasting and its impact on our skin. Now, this information is provided to us by a paper more of a review that I've gone through called Fasting and its Impact on Skin Anatomy, Physiology, and Physiopathology, a Comprehensive View of the Literature. Now, would I necessarily call this a comprehensive view of the literature? I suppose I could say that, but uh, admittedly, when I went through the review, it leaves just a tremendous amount for for us to, to want to delve into. Uh, they cover as much as they possibly can within their limitations of what studies actually exist. So I think what's actually really exciting about this is the fact that although there aren't that many studies on the topic, I think in the future, you know, next five, 10 years, it'll be really exciting to see uh, what research ends up coming out. Um, so I'm going to be presenting what they have so far, which admittedly is kind of a a discombobulated grouping of different studies that they just kind of stuck into a uh, review. But I tried to organize things as well as possible, so hopefully you'll bear with me and certainly keep in mind that this is pretty surface level. I'll be going into some physiology, but it's still pretty surface level because we just don't understand that much when it comes to fasting and its impact on skin. But we do know a little bit, so I'll present that. Uh, before I get started, by the time this releases that Thursday, I have a video that I literally just finished uh, editing, which is called, uh, well, it's going to be something related to epigenetics and weight loss. So it's uh, actually dissecting the research behind a particular segment of a Joe Rogan podcast where Dr. Rhonda Patrick discusses uh, the impact that weight loss has on men's epigenetics in their sperm that gets passed on to their children and what impact that can have potentially for a person's offspring. So if you're interested in that, I go into some pretty serious depth uh, in terms of epigenetics, talking about methylation, acetylation, uh, phosphorylation, all these different different uh, systems of how we regulate our genes. So if you're interested in that, then uh, by the time you're hearing this uh, after the live broadcast, then it will be up for you the next day. So be sure to check that out if you're if you're interested. I I thought it was a really really fascinating. Uh, podcast, the things that she mentioned. So I literally just go to that study that she references, or she just kind of briefly mentions it. And I kind of hunt it down and figured out which study she was talking about. So I kind of, I break down even more of what she's discussing. So if you're interested, check that out. Okay. So without further ado, let's jump into uh, fasting and skin health. So specifically, we're going to be talking about fasting on skin in general. Then I'm also going to be discussing fasting on skin aging. Again, as it's going to be pretty surface level, just understand that the studies are incredibly preliminary still. Okay, so a bit of background on skin. Uh, you should probably know a little bit on kind of skin makeup. And skin makeup, to leave things relatively general, uh, if you're watching this, 
Again, if you're listening to this, don't worry about it. You don't have to be looking at the graphics and whatnot, but they are available for you. But if you're watching this, I have a graphic of kind of the different layers of skin and be sure that the graphic that I've created is not anywhere near f fully encompassing of what skin physiology actually looks like, but it gives you a rough idea. So you've got the very top layer of your skin. The skin that you actually see is basically the epidermis. So the epidermis is filled with keratinocytes, which are kind of the typical skin cells that uh, most people talk about when they're talking about skin cells. When you say skin cells, you're usually talking about keratinocytes. Then one layer under that, and that's this is probably the most important layer, when, especially when it comes to skin aging, and I do have content on skin aging where I go into more detail on, on this particular layer, uh, is the dermis. So the dermis is filled with uh, things like collagen, and collagen is kind of that structural protein that allows, it kind of holds up the epidermis. So when you've got nice, smooth, flat skin, that is because you've got this collagen network that's holding it up and it's it's in uh, proper health. So it's it's stitched together correctly. You It's usually these repeats of three amino acids that are continuously repeated and twisted together to create this kind of, you can almost think of it like a column that just like holds up the skin. So if you're young, you're healthy, you've got healthy skin, then your collagen tends to be... Uh, very well wound together into these triple helices that allow for this uh, column to be created and your skin is therefore uh, nice and smooth all the way across. And I'll go into uh, what happens then with, with aging uh, as we go on. So then the layer under the dermis, so you've got the epidermis, which is what you see if you were to just like look at your hands, for example. Um, and then you've got the dermis, which is a large section, which is kind of the structural area, but there's a lot more stuff that, that belongs in there, trust me. Um, and then you've got the hypodermis. And I haven't really spoken about the hypodermis all that much in the past, but the hypodermis is essentially where you have this uh, fat cushion. And you also have your blood vessels that kind of go into that area as well. So they create a uh, cushion. And I'll go more into details of the anatomy uh, as, we, as we go forward. So skin health as, as a whole, however, is highly dependent on uh, A, genetics. Uh, you could say that literally of anything, any health condition, genetics is going to play a, a huge factor. Uh, then immunological diseases. So uh, definitely if you have certain autoimmune diseases, um, I know lupus can, can, can manifest itself in rashes and different, different uh, and you, you can even have like infections and things like that. So environmental factors can also play a factor. Stress can play a factor. Diet, of course, can play a factor. And actually, we're going to see some instances where diet really does actually really play a huge factor. And that's kind of the idea, right? We're talking about fasting, which is a huge dietary component. Um, and we're going to see what's some some of the impact that that has. And then, of course, like exposure to UV light, which is, again, something that I've discussed and covered in the past in previous content. So be sure to check that out. It, it's short form uh, content and with a bunch of graphics and data and all that. And I explain all the physiology. So uh, be sure to check that out and I'll link that for you. OK, so that's kind of generally a background on skin. However, meanwhile, uh, this 
particular review focuses a lot on calorie restriction. So kind of the calorie restriction aspect of fasting. And I will say, I think that kind of undermines the, the overall impact of what fasting can really do. Um, because, and I've covered this in like, uh, the fasting mimicking diet. I covered it in a series of different uh, content pieces, and it really showed that fasting can have some pretty profound impact that's probably beyond just the calorie restriction aspect. But um, I, I'm curious, and I hope that in the future we can see studies that will uh, kind of try to tease out, okay, well, what is the calorie restriction benefit separated from the fasting benefit specifically like a 16 hour fast or a full day of fasting or a couple days of fasting. So, but this review focuses on the calorie restriction, but ultimately most of these studies are looking at fasting to induce that calorie restriction. So calorie restriction shows that it protects against several diseases. We know that like cancer, again, I've got, I've got uh, content on that, uh, diabetes, heart disease, really any sort of situation where you're pulling nutrients out of the bloodstream. So you're not, um, taxing the cells by continuously blasting in them with, uh, with, uh, energy substrate, glucose, fatty acids, things of that nature, even ketones, whatever it might be. And then it also, calorie restriction also increases lifespan. And I definitely have content on that as well, as well as counteracting uh, certain aspects of aging. Again, another thing that I have content on, I keep mentioning things that I've got content on. Trust me, I'll try and link all of it. Um, so you can check it out if, if I say something that you're especially interested in. Um, which is actually something I would like to go more into uh, lifespan and health span because some people have been asking me about that. And um, I think it's something that we probably need to add some context to as well. But I digress. So calorie restriction uh, also tends to lead to an increase in stem cells. And we're going to talk a little bit more about stem cells as we go on. But uh, we actually saw that with uh, the content on the fasting mimicking dieting that actually changed the amount of stem cells uh, that were present. So it actually ended up creating more uh, stem cells, which is stem cells are by far the coolest cell in the body. I mean, in my opinion, no, no, like no questions asked. It's absolutely the stem cell. Um, so and that, of course, they play a huge role when it comes to uh, tissue growth and homeostasis, like skin. Uh, if you get a cut, stem cells are going to be heavily involved in repairing that, that cut. Okay, so now a bit more on the anatomy of the skin. Again, I mentioned that you've got that upper layer. You have the middle layer, which is that dermis. Uh, and then you've got the uh, hypodermis hypo being under. Um, so when it comes to the hypodermis, I didn't mention this, but there's also elastin as well as uh, it absorbing shock. So um, you don't want the collagen fibers necessarily to be absorbing all the shock when you're, uh, you know, just going about your daily life. You don't really realize it, but you're, you're putting a ton of impact on your skin every single day. So it has a tremendous impact. Um, the skin also, which is something that a lot of people don't really consider, is the fact that the skin also is filled with uh, immune cells. You can imagine, again, if you get a cut, uh, but even just in general, because you've got that bloodstream that's going through the hypodermis, 
um, that very bottom layer, you have a series of different immune cells from natural killer cells. If you've never seen a natural killer cell uh, attacking a cancer cell, I would totally recommend you check that out uh, after the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I would totally recommend you check that out. It's a really wicked cool uh, phenomenon. Uh, mast cells, macrophages, antigen presenting cells, Langerhans cells, also known as dendritic cells, among other cells like different uh, T cells and B cells. So there's all kinds of different immune cells that are found in our skin or right in that same location. Um, so the skin not only mediates inflammation, but it also offers a barrier. And I think that's probably the most obvious function of the skin, right? Um, if we don't have skin, then everything in our insides are exposed to the outside, which means that we just have an onslaught of different things. And that can be incredibly dangerous. So if you think of like burn, uh, burn victims, for example, uh, people that have been burned in their life, uh, especially with like third degree burns. One of the main issues is that you have, they have to cover it because they don't want that exposure to the outside environment because suddenly you, one, you have this massive inflammatory re reaction, meaning that, uh, you know, millions and millions of immune cells are moving into that region to start to combat what's ever coming in. But also, uh, if you have that open exposed region, then you're going to have a bunch of bacteria and viruses and all kinds of other pathogens that could enter that region. And that leads to an even greater uh, inflammatory cascade, which if you've heard of with uh, the current infection that's going around with uh, coronavirus is people have been talking about the cytokine storm. I mean, it's a similar situation. You don't want your inf inflammatory system to just go berserk where it's just attacking everything that it can because it's just so overwhelmed with so many different things. So that's a little bit of an aside, but the point is that it does, the skin does offer a barrier. And of course it synthesizes vitamin D uh, using cholesterol. It'll then produce vitamin D, send that to liver to be processed further, and then that gets exported from the liver. Again, I've got content on that as well. So... And it also expels waste. So we don't, we think about urine, right? I mean, we think about, uh, we think about pooping and we think about urine when it comes to excreting waste. But also when we sweat, when we sweat, we're releasing uh, uric acid, ammonia, urea. Well, I suppose just one of the, t the two uric acid or urea um, when it comes to animals. But Ammonia is, is, is a big one, um, and that's really in protein catabolism. So as we have protein turnover, we end up creating some of these uh, downstream met metabolites like ammonia, and those need to be, uh, we, we need to get rid of those extremely quickly um, because they can be uh, highly detrimental to us. So the skin also allows, it's, allows us to do that, and it also has pores so that we can cool ourselves. That's a huge reason uh, why we have pores, because we need to be able to uh, release heat from our body as well. So the point being that the skin has so many different functions, um, also including like wound healing. And I'll be talking a little bit about that as we go on. Uh, then the epidermis also serves as a site that secretes a lot of cholesterol and lipids that create a barrier to retain water in the body. Um, your cells, I should have created a graphic for this, but your cells, 
are connected by what are called tight junctions. Um, they're proteins that connect certain cells together. Not all of your cells, but any sort of lining cell. And a lining cell would be like your skin. The reason why you have this uniform nature about your skin is because you have millions and millions of cells that are all locked together. And when you create a cut, I mean, that lock gets broken because many, many cells die off. And then, and I remember I saw this during uh, one of my, one of my, uh, first, actually my very first class in my PhD program, they showed us cells that, that skin cells that were crawling back together after, um, after the, a cut had been initiated, which is another just ridiculously cool process. Uh, maybe one, uh, maybe I'll post that on Instagram. If you're following me, um, then I'll, you, you can see it for yourself. It's really cool. Um, okay, so that's the anatomy of the skin. That's just kind of a basic understanding of like the different functions of the skin. Obviously, it plays a lot more roles than just, hey, I have skin. Uh, it does a lot more. Okay, so uh, now let's talk about fasting. Fasting on skin. So obviously, fasting comes in many forms. You have different types of intermittent fasting. You have like eat, stop, eat. You have 16-8. You have the warrior diet, which is the 22, I think 22 hours of fasting, two hours of eating. You have uh, like fasting for like three days, five days, et cetera, et cetera. Water fasting, dry fasting, um, all these different types of fasting. So again, right there, we have such a broad category that it's difficult to immediately extrapolate that to all the different effects that we're just, we're going to be discussing, but we're going to try. So a lot of these studies obviously have been in mice because uh, we have to have some sort of mechanistic reasoning for uh, some of the things that happen. So they've shown that mice that undergo a fasting uh, period of six months, that just to clarify, that doesn't mean that they were not eating for six months. Mice die extremely quickly if they don't eat. Um, so they just went through periods of fasting and then were fed normally. So just think of it like an intermittent fasting style um, situation led these mice to have altered structure of their skin. So, and studies have also shown that there have been some metabolic changes as well that come from fasting uh, when it comes to skin. Obviously, we know that there are going to be metabolic changes when it comes to our just general physiology when you're talking about uh, the endocrine system, when you're talking about, well, maybe that's not metabolic change, but you do have changes in your endocrine system. And you also, of course, that ultimately leads to impact increase, increases in lipolysis uh, release of uh, fat molecules, decreases in blood glucose levels. I mean, we've, we've covered it all. It's, we know there are going to be effects from fasting, but what's interesting is that there are actually also effects on our skin metabolism. And I would really be interested to, to dive deeper into that as well. And one of the big points is that it also increases markers for quiescent stem cells. So what are those? Um, so Quiescent stem cells are, if you think of the term quiescent, it, quiet, you can almost think of it that way, that you have these stem cells that are dormant. They just sit there. They're not active. To, to, to the current understanding in, in research, in the literature, they don't do anything until they're active. And once they become active, then they do uh, two things. One, they proliferate meaning that they split into more cells. And when you think about your body, the only cells that can really split, that can undergo that mit mitosis, that, and that proliferation, creating more of themselves, more cells, uh, 
are stem cells, and there are different iterations of those stem cells. If you're talking about totipotent, pluripotent, multipotent stem cells, the point is that stem cells have the ability to differ, to proliferate, to create more of themselves. And the second function that they have is that they have the ability to differentiate. So proliferate and differentiate, those are the big two things. And differentiation is when a stem cell is probed and essentially told, hey, turn into this type of cell. We need more of this type of cell. So if you're talking about like your immune system in uh, your bloodstream, for example, uh, those cells come from, let's say like your bone marrow, uh, B cells are cells that were matured in your, in your bone marrow, and they were stem cells, and then they were told, hey, be a, be a B cell. We need more B cells. So then they end up releasing that into the bloodstream. Um, and the same thing happens with skin. So the idea that fasting would then increase these markers for quiescent stem cells, that would imply, presumably, and we're making some assumptions here, but that would imply that fasting then uh, leads to more, not necessarily of differentiation, where you get more skin cells, but that potentially you get uh, more proliferation. So you get more of these stem cells that are splitting into, so that you have a greater pool of stem cells. And that's what you want. I mean, generally you want a greater pool of stem cells. Of course, you don't want that to turn into cancer, but that's a whole different story. The point being that having more stem cells is generally a good thing. So here we see that uh, there have been several studies that have shown that there are increases in these quiescent stem cells, so kind of this pool. They also saw increases in markers for follicular uh, stem cells. So follicular, follicular stem cells, uh, I think I just released some content on ginger and its impact on uh, hair. So the follicle is this groove that the hair is produced in. It's like a shipyard almost. And then you're, you've got these matrix cells, these dermal papillary cells, and these are all embedded in the uh, environment of the skin. So let me throw this graphic up again. Again, if you're listening to this, don't worry about it. I'm going to be describing it. Um, so you've got this follicle that would be sticking out. Obviously, you can see the hair on, you know, on, the, on your skin. And that is a, a shaft. That is a hair shaft that is sticking out of your skin. And then but then it, it, it's not just on the very surface of your skin. It's not just in the epidermis. It actually drives deep into the dermis. And that's where you find uh, some of these stem cells because these stem cells are involved in the production of more hair. So presumably the idea here is that um, it's possible that fasting also may be responsible for greater hair growth uh, based on the fact that we have greater, we have increased markers for these follicular uh, stem cells. So again, you know, I'm talking, this is like preliminary information. I'm not, I'm not saying like we have definitive proof because we have some animal studies that yes, this is the case. The point of animal studies there's a number of different points, but one of them in this context is just to probe the question, is it even worth testing this on humans to see if it's going to have some sort of an impact? And we'll see that. I mean, we'll, we'll hopefully see that in the next few years. Of course, with research, you have to actually have a reason to test it. Um, so the NIH, the National uh, 
NIH National Institute of Health. I think that's the the, the right the right um, definition for for the, for the acronym NIH. Um, but overall research in general has to be related to something that's actually beneficial to the public. Um, it can't just be like, hey, the scientist just thinks this is cool. So you apply for a $500,000 grant or a one and a half million dollar grant. Sure, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, so unless you have some rich benefactor. Okay. Anyway, hopefully in the future, we'll be able to learn some more on how fasting impacts uh, hair growth. So also studies have, have uh, actively decreased serum cholesterol. So serum cholesterol being your LDL particles. And I realize that those are, that's not technically cholesterol, but what's inside those vesicles, those uh, particles is cholesterol, at least some of it. So with decreases in serum cholesterol through fasting, um, you actually witness that skin synthesis of cholesterol is reduced. Um, and that actually leads to impaired barrier repair when uh, your skin is broken. So what this implied in this particular study uh, was looking at mice is that if you artificially decrease, and this, well, maybe not artificially, but you decrease the, the cholesterol that's moving through the bloodstream, and this does happen with fasting, we know that as well, um, that that could actually impair the ability for the skin cells to repair, to uh, come together and repair a particular wound. Now, I'm going to push back against that in, in just a minute. So I'll, I'll touch on that again. And the thing is that they, tr they then tried, okay, so they saw this effect, okay, fasting decreases cholesterol. It's associated with decreases in the ability for um, these uh, skin cells to then come back together and for more skin cells to be produced uh, to close up a particular wound. But then they added an addition of fat to the skin, wanted to see if the skin would somehow react to that. And they found that even when they topically added fat, there was no effect. So this would then imply that fasting would be detrimental for skin repair, uh, for potentially injury repair, at least on the skin. Uh, however, they also showed that fat, so when they fasted mice, they had reduced side effects when it came to retinoid topical treatments. So uh, a lot of people like to use vitamin A uh, as an antioxidant on skin. And there is, from what I recall from the brief reading I've done, is that is does seem to be effective. Uh, vitamin A, definitely vitamin E and definitely vitamin C, but I believe vitamin A as well. But the problem with vitamin A is that it can also lead to skin irritation. But what's interesting is that they found that fasting mice uh, tended not to have this irritation, yet it also still allowed that retinoid, that retinol, the vitamin A itself, to still have its impact. So it, it does away with the side effect, but it still allows for the actual effect that you want, which is cool. Um, that would be promising kind of going forward. Maybe if a person does have uh, skin irritations that occur from using particular skin products, maybe fasting could be something that's really easy to do that could uh, mitigate some of those side effects. And okay, so now, now I wanted to push back on this initial thought that um, this that fasting then reduced uh, wound repair because in people, so this study was in actual people as opposed to mice, so maybe it has more credibility. 
that four consecutive days of fasting every two weeks for two months led to increased skin wound healing compared to the placebo group or or control group, I suppose I should say. Um, And it was believed that that was mediated by better macrophage activity. Um, So macrophages are immune cells. And we talked about how immune cells are in that location. They are in the skin layer, kind of the bottom skin layer. And that was because of increased uh, TGF uh, alpha release. So tumor, tumor growth factor. Don't quote me on that. I'm drawing a slight blank. It could be tumor growth factor um, alpha. So that ended up leading to greater um, keratinocyte proliferation. So keratinocytes are, again, those uh, skin cells that end up uh, proliferating and proliferation being becoming more numerous. So if this is, well, I'll touch on why there might be a difference between those two studies in just a second. Um, so, but some other studies that have also looked at humans as well as animals have found no positive effect, however. So you're getting kind of combative results here, two, two different points of view that are getting to two different types of results. And it's probably, it's almost definitely in the methods of how they go about things. Um, so some of these studies that showed that there was no effect uh, cited that there was an increase in IGF binding protein. And if you're watching the podcast, I've got, I, I made a quick graphic on this. So IGF binding protein is very similar to something like uh, testosterone can be bound by a sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG. And what it, initially, what it essentially does is it binds the protein or the molecule that is active that would typically lead to an effect and it inactivates it. So in this case, we have insulin-like growth factor, and that gets circulated, that um, gets, it's in the bloodstream, it can also be within the cells. And the increase in IGF would be associated with increases in growth signaling, therefore increases in skin recovery. That's the thought process of what the other study thought. But what they found, what these studies against fasting said, that... uh, they saw increases in IGF binding protein, meaning that you're nullifying the IGF. So even though you have IGF present, you have more of this protein that's being produced by the cells that is then latching onto this uh, IGF and inactivating it. So it can't then bind other cells to lead to this growth factor. So there's a lot to consider there. So what's possible, what's possibly happening here is that during the fast, and bear with me because it's total speculation on my part, but it is based on some other studies that I've read, uh, that during the fast, the growth signaling is going to be low. And this bears out with, well, if you look at like muscle research, right? If you're fasting, you're not going to be going to be optimally primed to build as much muscle as possible. That doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that it's going to be slower. So in this situation with wound healing, if you cut your skin, uh, that recovery could be slower because of A, it could be because of the fasting, because you are fasting in a fasted state, and B, because you're in a calorie deficit. And in any situation, I don't care what situation it is, if you're in a calorie deficit, you are in an energy deficit, your entire body is not in the prime position to grow. 
That's, that's the whole point of a calorie deficit to not grow. So that's where I, it would be really interesting to be able to tease out those two uh, pieces to, to tease out fasting from a calorie deficit and see if fasting has added benefits that the calorie deficit alone does not have. An easy way to do that would be to have people consume, let's say, uh, a calorie deficit, but um, to be eating five meals a day or seven meals a day. So make sure that they're not ever truly getting into that fasting state. And then you have another group that um, ends up consuming just one, all of their calories, still in a calorie deficit, but um, all their calories in one meal and see if that has some sort of an effect. That would be an easy way to kind of tease out the, the, the two differences. So the reason why the other study in people may have found a benefit, and this may be similar to what we saw with FMD, um, fasting mimicking diet, uh, that, that content I'll, I'll link for you, is that it's possible that this extremely low uh, level of energy intake leading to, you know, from fasting and whatnot, could be detrimental to growth during that fasting period. But then once you start to consume your normal level of food, maybe it has some sort of a rebound effect. And again, I'm just talking just straight off the top of my head. Uh, I, I don't have actual proof for any of this, uh, except for, you know, a little bit of data here and there um, from, from my previous reading. So the point is that there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be figured out. Okay, so now let's move on to a little bit on fasting and skin aging. So that was kind of fasting on skin in general. And now skin aging. So aging of skin is defined by reduction in collagen and broken elastin. Elastin was in the hypodermis, but I focused a lot of the, my reading so far on collagen. Again, I've got uh, material on that and other things as well. So it's not just those two, but those are two huge proteins. And I talked about how collagen hangs out in that dermis. So um, it literally supports the, the upper layer. So eventually, as you get older, you have a bunch of insult that occurs to that collagen, and that collagen then ends up breaking. You start having some of the fraying of that helix that, uh, that creates that strong pillar-like uh, function of collagen. And then you start having, if you have pockets where the collagen is starting to break down and you have other areas that are still pretty strong, then you start to have these wrinkles that start to happen, right? As the, the epidermis and the dermis start to kind of uh, fall inwards like a trench and then kind of come back up on the other side as you, you have stronger collagen in certain areas. So that's what ends up creating wrinkles. So that's skin aging in really simplistic terms, but there's certainly a lot more that uh, gets involved. So one of the things that can affect the function of collagen is glycation. And I've talked about glycation uh, before. Glycation is usually attributed to blood cells. If you have uh, elevated A1C, um, if you are diabetic, your doctor may have spoken to you about your A1C levels because you have this uh, non-enzymatic addition of glucose. Let me break that down for you. Um, that means that you have so much going you, in your bloodstream, you have red blood cells and they're floating around. And if you constantly have high levels of blood glucose, blood sugar levels, 
then that can get start sticking to these red blood cells and start sticking to their hemoglobin uh, proteins, which makes them less functional. So that's in a diabetic situation, you have glycation. But you can also have glycation in other ways as well that can lead to, um, again, related to diabetes is neuropathy, especially in the eyes, uh, in the feet, in the hands, really where things start to get really uh, small, the vessels get really small because it starts to, for lack of better words, kind of gunks up uh, the, the, the passageway for those red blood cells. But now we're talking about collagen. So apparently glycation can also affect collagen to uh, render it less functional and they showed that if fasting mice actually showed reduced glycation, which again would make total sense because we even saw that in diabetic conditions and non-diabetic conditions that fasting decreases our uh, blood sugar levels. So of course it's going to decrease our glycation. Um, so these mice that were fasting ended up showing reduced glycation of these collagen fibers and that ultimately led to improved cell adhesion and cell adhesion again is those is the um the junction proteins that allows for these proteins these cells excuse me these keratinocytes to stick together so that they can actually create that structure but even beyond that you have other cells called fibroblasts that are located in the dermis as well and those fibroblasts actually anchor on to collagen itself they anchor on and they can actually sense the, the structure of that collagen. They can uh, secrete more collagen. They are the, the, the cells that actually secrete the collagen and produce the collagen. So they have ways of, of sensing it. So they also, uh, fasting also leads to uh, better cell migration. So for cells to be able to move from one area to another area, I don't actually know how functionally that ends up uh, helping out. That's something I would have to look more into. But ultimately the point is that your collagen fibers end up working better um, due to fasting. And the final thing is that fasting actually interestingly reduces collagen synthesis. And this again makes some sense because you would, th although you would think that because fasting potentially has a benefit when it comes to aging, um, aging skin, if you're fasting, you're in a caloric deficit. If you're fasting, you're going to uh, not be in a growth mindset. So you're going to have less of a drive. The cells are going to have less of a drive to actually produce more of this particular protein. But however, on the back end, fasting also reduces MMP expression. So MMPs are, MMPs are metalloproteinases. Metalloproteinases are enzymes that are secreted out of fibroblasts the very same cells that produce collagen, they essentially control collagen, the quality of the collagen. So they do have to have the ability to break it down as well. And with aging, what happens is that these fibroblasts start producing more of these MMPs. And these enzymes actually degrade collagen. And that's not always a bad thing. You want to have turnover of these different tissues because if you have a kind of uncontrolled damage, then that's something that's hard to, to overcome. But if these cells are, are, I hate to anthropomorphize cells, but if these cells are uh, having a controlled reaction where they are going up to a collagen fiber and they notice, for lack of better words, they notice that it's damaged, uh, they release MMPs to further break it up 
into smaller pieces, maybe reabsorb parts of it, release some of it into the bloodstream to be, uh, to, to get rid of it. And then they secrete more collagen and repair that particular section of the skin. So fasting could reduce the collagen synthesis, but it also uh, reduces MMP expression. So really maybe fasting doesn't have a, uh, an overall like massively beneficial role for, for aging, but it maybe it slows aging. And this would totally fall in line with uh, studies that have looked at lifespan. I mean, people who ca- are in a calorie deficit more often uh, tend to live longer. And this definitely bears out for animals. Um, it's you kind of have to go to certain extremes with some of that. And there are definitely huge downsides to that, which I won't cover right now, but, um, it's possible that overall everything gets downregulated. Therefore the aging process overall, even in your skin slows down. It could be just as simple as that. Okay. Wow. All right. So again, I keep in mind, like this is so it's, it's just so elementary. Like I, I know I'm covering a little bit of physiology here and there, but we just need so much more information to actually tease out a lot of these mechanisms. And I'm really looking forward to being able to look into that uh, in more detail going forward. But in summary, what's kind of the big takeaway from this? Um, fasting and calorie restriction, again, we can't really uh, separate the two at the moment. Um, They reduce the cholesterol genesis uh, that was produced by the cells um, to allow for greater control of uh, that flatness or that kind of adhesion between the different cells. Um, It does also tend to reduce collagen synthesis. It tends to increase uh, skin stem cells, which is in line with some of the other fasting literature that I've looked at. Um, Even hair-associated stem cells tend to increase, and it also inhibits the generation of MMPs. So it probably just puts a break on all of the aging processes as a whole. Um, So, you know, take that as you will, which of course, those MMPs degrade collagen. So we're kind of unsure as related to wound healing, really unsure about all of this, but um, at least we can sort of start leaning in particular directions, but we're really unsure about wound healing. Uh, Could delay wound healing, could speed it up. Obviously, we saw that we talked about the human study that did speed it up. And most studies point to decreased wound healing, however. But one of the positives of fasting is that it probably in some capacity reduces uh, aging of the skin. All right, that's what I've got for you. (laughs) I I will, of course, have this study, this review linked for you, so you can check it out for yourself. And uh, next week, I'm hoping, I'm not committing to this right now, but um, I already have my eyes on a, a study looking at how nutrition affects depression. So if you are interested in learning about that, maybe I will be covering that next week. All right. With that said, that's the podcast for this week. Thanks for stopping by. As always, I'm deeply humbled every single time I can actually talk to uh, a bit of an audience and I always really appreciate it. And I hope to have the absolute pleasure as always to speak with you. Have a good one, guys. See ya.